And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Hi, good morning. Welcome to uh, third quarter. Uh, hope everyone had a uh, good Fourth of July. Uh, got a lot to talk about. Last week, uh, first time in a while, we had uh, five straight up days in the Nasdaq. Uh, financial uh, markets on the equity side for uh, the green last week um, after a uh, very difficult start to the year, the first half of the year. Um, we did see an uptick in bond yields last week as uh, they have been uh, seesawing um, throughout the, the past few months and have uh, risen significantly uh, in the first half of this year. I'm uh, going to start out this morning with a few uh, thoughts and quotes from uh, Zig Ziglar, a uh, well-renowned uh, um, uh, person who has written books on uh, the art of, uh, of interpersonal skills. Uh, going to talk about financial markets, where we stand this morning, and uh, how we may want to position ourselves uh, for the remainder of the year, and, uh, and talk about... Uh, couple of different things going on in the uh, fixed income markets as well as the economy, how retirees may want to think about positioning their portfolios uh, as they enter retirement uh, as uh, more and more um, of uh, Americans uh, are, are aging and thinking about retiring. So that's a crucially important uh, uh, conversation and thought process. So starting out this morning with some uh, thoughts uh, from Zig Ziglar to get our uh, Mindset straight for the week. Uh, one of uh, the quotes from Zig Ziglar is, rich people have small TVs and big libraries, and poor people have small libraries and big TVs. Among the things that you can still give, and all of these are free, and still keep, so you can give them, still keep them, and they're all free to give, are your word, a smile, and a grateful heart. The chief cause of failure and unhappiness is trading what you want most for what you want right now. Zig Ziglar said there are no traffic jams on the extra mile. And for those who uh, who, who have fallen down and know that uh, the true measure of success is not falling down but getting back up, it's not how far you fall but high ha- how high you bounce that counts. And two more, uh, you can have everything in life that you want if you just give enough other people what they want. And finally, the more you are grateful for what you have, the more you will have to be grateful for. So with that uh, as our backdrop, uh, going to get started uh, talking about financial markets, uh, seeing uh, some weakness this morning in, uh, in U.S. Uh, equities. Uh, S&P 500 futures right now off their worst levels in the morning, down 24 points, about six-tenths of 1% below fair value. Uh, NASDAQ futures, which were down uh, over 100 points, are now about 89 points uh, below fair value, about uh, three-quarters of 1% below fair value. And the Dow is down about 160 points, about half a percent below fair value. Coming off the weekend, sentiment is being pressured by growth concerns. Uh, Market participants may be cautious ahead of the CPI report, which is being released on Wednesday, and uh, the beginning of earnings season um, as we start to see a flow of earnings uh, this week, and we'll talk about some of the ones that we're going to see in the next uh, few days. Um, We are seeing the uh, bond market rising as the stock market is falling. Yields uh, in general are down three to five basis points. Uh, Give some perspective, the uh, 10-year is around a uh, 305, which is uh, basically in line with the two-year, which is also around 305 as uh, that yield curve uh, between twos and tens uh, is, uh, is, is fairly flat or close to an inversion. Uh, some concerns uh, out of uh, China, p- perhaps uh, pressuring uh, U.S. equities as well. 
Uh, Macau has announced new COVID lockdown measures, including closing down casinos for a week-long period. Um, Shanghai discovered the increasingly dominant Omicron subvariant of COVID, fueling fears of new lockdown measures there. Uh, this, uh, of course, is pressuring uh, the casino stocks that operate in Macau, uh, those stocks under pressure this morning. Chinese stocks also uh, being uh, pressured by uh, news that Beijing finds some of the company's largest internet companies for failing to make proper antitrust declarations on previous deals. Um, this is uh, on the back of uh, what was uh, viewed as uh, optimism uh, that the uh, Chinese were going a little bit easier on uh, some of the large tech companies and the antitrust concerns. Uh, so uh, this uh, this uh, news, uh, not uh, easing concerns, but adding to concerns that perhaps uh, the Chinese will continue to pressure uh, some of their large technology companies. A French minister uh, out saying that he is uh, warning uh, the country to prepare for a total cutoff of uh, Russian gas. Um, Europe is on high alert as Russia temporarily halts uh, gas flows by a major pipeline, uh, saying that they're shutting them down for uh, maintenance, uh, which is uh, something that they do on occasion. Uh, but the concern is uh, now that uh, they may not be restarted. And uh, the French minister saying today um, the concern is is that it is a most likely option that uh, that Russia may cut off gas uh, to Western Europe, uh, the countries uh, like uh, France and Germany that they've previously uh, kept gas flowing to. Despite that news, um, we are seeing uh, oil down about 2.7% this morning, although natural gas is up 4.6% on that news. Um, unleaded gasoline futures, which are directly tied to the price that we all pay at the pump, are down about 1.5% uh, uh, to $3.39 a, uh, a gallon. Um, overseas, uh, equity indices in Asia um, began the week on a mostly lower note. We talked about weakness in uh, China. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down almost 3%. The Shanghai was down 1%. Um, South Korea down about half a percent. Australia down over 1%. Uh, the Nikkei in Japan, the one exception, um, they had elections over there. And uh, the party of, uh, of Abe, who was uh, assassinated uh a couple of days ago, um, winning a majority, um, and uh, not only a majority, but two-thirds uh, of the uh, seats there in Japan. So the expectation is uh, is that uh, the party there will continue in power with uh, with lots of power. And this party had, uh, had pursued a policy of um, keeping interest rates low um, and uh, also... Uh, uh, the the objective there was to uh, increase military spending, something uh, that uh, their allies like the United States may view uh, favorably, offering a counterbalance to uh, uh, the Chinese and their military ambitions. Um, in uh, in general news, um, President Biden is uh, traveling to Saudi Arabia this week, um, and uh, Fitch uh, revised the uh, U.S. outlook uh, to stable. Uh, from negative and affirmed the the uh, AAA rating on uh, on uh, U.S. Uh, debt um, coming from uh, from Fitch. I mentioned that we have uh, the earnings season kicking off. Um, so to uh, talk about that, uh, what do we have looking forward to look forward to this week? Pepsi tomorrow reports uh, their second quarter uh, fiscal 2022 earnings. Wednesday Delta reports. Um, and on Wednesday, we get the important release of uh, the Bureau for Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index for June. Economists forecast an 8.8% year-over-year jump compared with an 8.6% increase in May. 
Um, that 8.6% increase was a 40-year high. Core CPI, excluding volatile food and energy, is seen rising 5.7% compared with uh, 6%. Also on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve releases, releases the Beige Book for the fifth of eight times this year. Thursday, um, we start getting uh, earnings from the big banks. Uh, first up are J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley, uh, followed by uh, the following day by uh, Citigroup and Wells Fargo on Friday. Um, also on Thursday, we get earnings from Taiwan Semi, as well as uh, Conagra Brands and First Republic Bank. Thursday also, uh, we see the release of the producer price index for June, looking for an increase of a 10.7% uh, spike in PPI, up from 8.2% uh, the previous month. And then Friday, um, on top of those uh, earnings uh, from uh, Citigroup and Wells Fargo, uh, we have earnings from Bank of New York Mellon, BlackRock, PNC, State Street, U.S. Bank Corp., and United Healthcare. Friday also get the University of Michigan releasing consumer sentiment index for July, looking for a number of 50 even with June, which is a record low for the index, which dates back to 1978. Um, we also get the Census Bureau reporting on retail sales for June. Uh, retail sales are expected to have increased eight tenths of one percent month over month after declining three-tenths of 1% in June. Barron's talking about uh, the stock market. Uh, last week uh, had a good week. Uh, they say the next one, which is the one that we're about to begin today, could be messier. Uh, last week, uh, the Dow Jones rose eight-tenths of a percent. The NASDAQ uh, was up 4.6%. The S&P was up 1.9%. NASDAQ uh, managed to string together five consecutive updates, longest winning streak since November of 2021. Um, but the article goes on to say, yes, that's uh, good, but it's hard to understand why the market reacted so enthusiastically to last week's news. Investors entered last week hoping, uh, if not for a recession, then for at least some signs that the economy is slowing enough to keep the Federal Reserve from aggressively raising interest rates further. The last week, the ISM non-manufacturing index came in stronger than expected. Durable goods orders came in stronger than expected. Uh, the JOLTS job openings report was stronger than expected. And then we got the payroll data, uh, which came in particularly strong. Economy added 372,000 jobs last month, about 100,000 more than predicted. That initially caused the market to sell off. Um, but then the market looked deeper into those jobs numbers and concluded that uh, perhaps uh, they didn't uh, add up to being as attractive as they initially looked. Uh, specifically, while the establishment number was very strong, showing that 372,000 job gain, uh, the household survey, which is uh, a metric of uh, taking a look at uh, job gains and losses, but done in a different way, a uh, different method of testing, um, than the uh, than the uh, the n numbers that uh, that we get uh, from uh, from the traditional uh, jobs report um, and that household survey, which is done by calling uh, households and seeing if people are employed, actually showed a loss of three hundred thousand jobs. Uh, the unemployment rate remained unchanged at three point six percent, but that was only because the workforce shrank. At the same time, average hourly earnings increased uh, three-tenths of one percent, which was lower than the rate of inflation. So the thinking here goes, um, can we continue to get strong job uh, creation at the same time um, that we uh, do not see an uptick in inflation? And the concern is uh, that we'll need uh, a lot of good fortune and a lot of deft work from the Federal Reserve to continue to uh, be able to, uh, to work that magic. Um, what does seem likely, 
um, regardless of what the job numbers come in uh, at in the next uh, few months, is it's uh, extremely likely that we will continue to see Fed rate increases. Um, there is currently being priced in a 100% chance that the central bank will hike rates by three-quarters of a point on July 27th, and there is also a 100% chance that it will boost them by a half a point in September with uh, lower odds for a three-quarter percent hike in September. Uh, the other uh, strong probability is that we will see uh, earnings start to decelerate, and the uh, million-dollar question is how much will they decelerate and how much of that deceleration is currently priced into the market. Uh, reasons for optimism, um, despite this, uh, the fact that uh, we are continuing to see signs of inflation and despite the fact uh, that uh, we are likely to see earnings deceleration, um, one uh, silver lining is that Treasury inflation-protected securities are starting to price in lower inflation, meaning the markets are starting to think, hey, maybe the Fed is uh, is uh, able starting to get inflation under control and is going to be able to uh, put this uh, genie back into the bottle. Ten-year tips uh, are reflecting 2.33% uh, inflation uh, going out over the next 10 years, down from 3% in April. Uh, another positive uh, from uh, vantage point of uh, Fed being able to get inflation under control is that commodity prices uh, have fallen. At the same time, the dollar has risen, uh, so the Fed may not be as behind the curve as uh, investors uh, previously thought. If that is the case, uh, then the million-dollar question is the stock market beaten up enough. Um, the reality is, uh, as we all know, is, uh, is that uh, trying to time this market or any market is uh, virtually impossible, and probably the only way you'll be able to time it right is because you're lucky, not because you're smart. So the smart contrarian would say um, that uh, you should be putting money to work, uh, albeit judiciously um, and uh, slowly, uh, but now may be a good time to judiciously uh, be seeking out uh, investment opportunities. One area of the market uh, that seems to be an omen uh, potentially for more some economic pain is the auto market. Um, interesting report um, that car repossessions are exploding. Um, what we are seeing is uh, perhaps a, a leading indicator of people being uh, unable to afford their car payments, um, and this may be due to the fact that in 2020 and 2021, there was lots of money handed out by the government, and suddenly people's uh, incomes looked very good and attractive, and they were able to uh, receive auto loans for more money than they previously would have uh, qualified for. And what uh, what uh, is uh, is happening is that many of those people who uh, got loans in 2020 and 2021 um, are now defaulting on those loans, and uh, it's been long enough that many of those uh, loans are uh, coming due, and those cars are being repossessed. In fact, some of the banks are reporting that uh, some of the loans that they have given to individuals, um, that they're seeing those individuals uh, are currently seeing their uh, incomes half of what they were when they applied for those loans, and uh, the suspicion is, is that's because uh, those incomes were inflated, um, courtesy of uh, the U.S. government. Uh, one person uh, who is in the repossession business says he has never seen so many people making $2,500 a month, owing $1,000 a month in car payments. Uh, going on to say um, that he believes that uh, currently uh, we may have... Uh, had uh, an auto bubble and may now be experiencing the aftermath uh, of that uh, bubble. 
In fact, companies that are in the business of repossessing autos who are among the first to know when there is uh, trouble in the sector, um, are, are, and those companies are now buying car lots uh, to handle the flood of uh, cars that, uh, that they are uh, repossessing. So if we are to see a continuation of uh, the bear market that we saw in the first half of this year, um, or even if we're not expected to see a continuation and hopefully we see a rebound uh, in, uh, in equity markets in the second half of this year, um, that doesn't make the uh, challenge of, do, of what you are to do um, if uh, you are uh, contemplating or just about to uh, retire. Um, how do you structure your portfolio uh, going into retirement? And one of the greatest challenges uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, trying to anticipate how your portfolio should be constructed going into retirement is the fact that the sequence of returns of the first uh, couple of years after you retire has a tremendous impact on how well you will fare in retirement. So just as way of an example, if you had a million dollar portfolio and you retired in uh, the year 2000, um, and you were to take a look at that portfolio 20 years later in 2022, and you assume that you took out $40,000 a year and you adjusted that 40000 upward every year for inflation, uh, currently you'd have $470,000 left and you'd probably be very nervous. On the flip side, if you were to reverse the returns between 2000 and 2020, so for example, if in 2000, instead of getting the returns in the year 2000 that you got, your first year of uh, returns would have been the year 2020, and your second year of returns would have been 2019, and your third year returns would have been 2018. So if you were to reverse the returns in that 20-year sequence, at the end of 20 years, um, you would have currently not 470,000, you would have 2.3 million currently. Um, so the order of those returns, um, critically important. Uh, to how well um, you are going to enjoy those retirement years. So what do you do to structure a portfolio going into retirement um, in order to somewhat uh, make your portfolio more um, resistant to that sequence of time uh, um, pressure on your portfolio that may occur if, uh, if uh, the, the fates aren't on your side? So what some market experts uh, suggest is, uh, is number one, if you can, to set up enough of a uh, cash cushion or a cash cash um, so that uh, your first few years of retirement, you have enough cash uh, so that you won't have to go into your, uh, your, your investment portfolio. Um, if you have that luxury, that is uh, highly suggested. If you don't have that luxury, um, then the second phase of how to structure for retirement uh, is uh, is appropriate. Um, so what you should also be doing is increasing your allocation going into retirement uh, to more of a to more fixed income. Um, and what you should be doing with that fixed income portion of your portfolio is you should be drawing down that fixed income portion in your early years of retirement. So if you've created a portfolio and everyone's allocation to fixed income or equities will be different depending on their unique circumstances. But by way of example, if you've created a portfolio that's 60% fixed income, 40% equities, um, and uh, let's take cash out of the equation here, then what you'd want to do is in the first five or six years of retirement, you'd want to heavily, um, heavily take those distributions from the uh, bond portion of your portfolio and leave the equity portion uh, much more intact 
Therefore, later in retirement, um, you will actually have a greater portion of your portfolio in equities than fixed income, even though you started out with a higher fixed income allocation, um, because if you continue to live, which hopefully, of course, you will, um, you'll be able to keep up with the effects of uh, rising prices and inflation by having that equity exposure later. And also later in life, you'll probably be doing less traveling um, and, uh, and, and, and less, uh, less expenditures on everything except health care. Um, just because uh, by the very nature of uh, of the uh, aging process, you'll possibly uh, be, hopefully not, but but reality speaks, uh, be less active. Um, so these are things that a financial professional can obviously give lots of assistance uh, to and guidance uh, to um, when uh, when trying to uh, determine what's best for each individual. So mentioned Brad's not with us this morning, um, but going to talk about the. Uh, the bond market and a couple of different uh, ideas uh, in order to uh, get uh, returns in bonds. Uh, last week in Barron's, Barron's uh, had a couple of good articles on uh, income. Um, the cover front page of Barron's uh, said uh, yields are above 8%. It's time to get excited about income investing. Uh, in the bond market, uh, Barron's said yields in many cases have doubled to around 8% after one of the largest sell-offs in history. Uh, this enhances the diversifying power of bonds and equity-heavy portfolios and should revive interest in the traditional 60-40 mix between stocks and bonds. Uh, High-yield bonds, also known as junk, are yielding more than 8%. Uh, mortgage-backed securities, uh, yielding north of 5%. Preferred stocks, uh, north of 6%, in some cases 7-8%. Uh, municipal bonds, yielding between 3 and 5%. And we're going to spend some time talking specifically about municipal bonds. Um, U.S. Treasuries now yielding around 3%, uh, even for uh, two-year Treasuries, um, while TIPS currently are yielding around 8%, but that, may, uh, that, may, that yield may uh, diminish as, uh, as the Federal Reserve continues to raise those short-term interest rates. And in the equity market, investors can get a 3-plus percent dividend yield on a wide range of stocks. So where to look for income? Um, one of the most appealing sectors Barron's uh, suggests taking a look at is uh, U.S. pipeline companies. U.S. energy infrastructure concerns uh, were a Barron's favorite at the start of 2022 and remain so after a recent 15% pullback, um, which is matched by the rest of the oil and gas sector. Infrastructure leaders such as Williams, WMB, uh, Kinder Morgan, KMI, Magellan Partners, uh, MMP, Ener Enterprise Partners, EPD, and Energy Transfer, symbol ET, carry yields in the 55 to 8.7% range, are well covered by their free cash flows, um, and the expectation is there's going to be need for oil and gas for a lot longer than people thought just a couple of years ago. Pipelines are vital and offer less risk than oil and gas producers as most of their revenue is fee-based. It remains difficult to nearly impossible to build new pipelines. Existing ones benefit from higher tariffs, scarcity value, and increased volumes in areas such as the Permian Basin of Texas. Pipeline operators are in a strong financial condition, while distribution growth should run at 3 to 5% uh, annually. Next up, uh, dividend stocks. Um, it's gotten a lot easier to get 3-4% uh, dividend yields, almost double the yield that you were seeing just uh, six months ago. Uh, most of the major banks yield 3% or more. Um, energy companies, also a good source of income. Uh, Warren Buffett has been uh, aggressively buying up uh, the stock of uh, Occidental Petroleum, symbol OXY. Uh, Devon Energy, DVN, Pioneer Natural Resources, PXD. 
um, are now paying a mix of regular and profit-linked variable dividends that together top 7%. ExxonMobil and Chevron Texaco are yielding north of uh, 4%. Uh, in the in the 4% category, you're also seeing stocks like Whirlpool, WHR, Truist Financial, TFC, 3M, MMM, and Walgreens, WBA, all yielding uh, above 4%, and their dividend payments are well covered uh, by earnings. Uh, talking about junk bonds, um, there's finally some yield in high yield. Uh, the average yield is now about 8.5%. Uh, put things in perspective, uh, not suggesting uh, the average investor uh, uh, play in this uh, pool, uh, but triple C rated bonds are now yielding around 14%. Uh, that's up almost uh, double from where it was uh, just seven months ago. Um, so those riskier bonds uh, finally uh, getting some compensation um, for the very high risk that uh, you'd be taking uh, to uh, to invest in that space. Um, one issuer that was mentioned here from the manager of the uh, T. Rice, uh, T. Rowe Price High Yield Fund um, is uh, Carnival Cruise Line, symbol CCL, uh, the leading cruise line operator, um, highlighting their bonds, uh, which are high yield and high risk bonds um, that have a five and three quarter percent coupon going out to 2027. Uh, these bonds yielding about 13 uh, percent, double what they were paying in early 2021. Uh, Carnival does have close to $30 billion in debt and has been losing money. Uh, perhaps good reason to uh, see those bonds yielding 13%. Um, but uh, the manager of the portfolio, Mr. Loom, uh, feels that the value of its ships give uh, give these bonds some uh, good asset coverage for the debt. And uh, he is uh, optimistic that Carnival will move into the black uh, sometime next year. Moving on to uh, telecom stocks. Uh, major telecom stocks, AT&T and Verizon, um, have delivered dividends but little else for the past decade. Uh, AT&T stock is in the red um, after adjusting for the spinoff of Warner Media, and Verizon is up modestly. Um, but both stocks traded under 10 times earnings and half the P.E. ratio of electric utilities and yield about 5%. Um, they're also defensive as wireless service is vital to most Americans. Let's talk about preferred stocks. Uh, many preferred stocks yielding north of 6%. Uh, Wells Fargo preferred Z as in Zebra. AT&T uh, preferred C as in Charlie. Both are trading around 19 and yield over 6%. And finally, let's talk about municipal bonds. Uh, Brad's been talking about municipal several weeks and the uh, opportunities that are available in the municipal market. Uh, well, Barron's uh, agrees. Um, last week, uh, they wrote the article with low prices and high yields. Municipal bonds are alluring. The bad news is that 2022 first half were dreadful uh, for bonds. The good news isn't just that it's over, but that the massive market, mar- the massive markdowns pre- present opportunities. And that's especially true for municipal bonds, where the plunge in prices has lifted yields to levels competitive with equities with much lower risk. Uh, Top-grade, tax-free, long-term munis now yield more than comparable treasury long bonds. Uh, That means that long muni bonds are currently generating about 104.5% of the treasury bond yield, and that compares with 78% at the end of 2021. So in other words, uh, you're getting paid more to own a municipal bond than a treasury bond, but on that municipal bond, you do not pay uh, federal income taxes, and in many cases, you may not pay state or local taxes as well. 
Good quality munis rated double A or single A yield close to their corporate counterparts, and that's despite the fact that the municipal bonds are tax-free. And on top of the fact that municipal bonds, uh, from a credit quality standpoint, when you compare A-rated municipals to A-rated corporates, the default rates are significantly lower. So not only do you have the tax advantage, you also have the fact that based on historics, the probability of default is significantly less. So price drops to munis and may valuations compelling. Uh, that's especially true for investors in high-tax states who haven't been able to deduct state and local taxes from their federal returns in recent years. So let's put this in perspective with some numbers. For investors without state and local income levies, so that means that uh, you're in a state like Florida or Texas, munis yielding four and a quarter percent are the equivalent of taxable bonds yielding about 7%. But for those in high-tax states like New York, California, Hawaii, um, those uh, individuals facing total marginal rates of over 50%, including the 3.8% extra levy on investment income mandated under the Affordable Care Act for certain high-income investors, that yield is comparable to about 9%. So that is competitive with equities when adjusted for muni's lower risk. Um, so if you can get 4 4 and a quarter percent on a tax-free bond, you're in the highest tax bracket in a high-tax state. Um, it is... Uh, it is very likely that uh, that municipal yield um, will start uh, getting very competitive in what you may expect uh, from equities over time with uh, dramatically less risk. Ironically, this is occurring despite the fundamental improvement in state and local finances uh, resulting from the big jump in tax revenue with the economy's recovery from COVID-driven uh, weakness in 2020. So bottom line is uh, higher municipal yields, um, and uh, presently uh, less risk because municipal finances look a lot better because of the generosity of the federal government. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.